Time for the red and the blue. Brian Keel will join us at 9.05. Adjustment on the time. 9.05 for Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker. Kyle Gunther, former Utah offensive lineman, joins us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, Lisa any handset. Get an iPad for $99.99. Visit a local Sprint store near you. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? It's a pleasure to not have to hit Brian Keel anymore. I'll just try to uh, give him a lead. <laughs> we are doing fine considering the color of the sky. We're a little, uh, we're a little depressed by the grayness that surrounds us right now. But there'll be college football and we can watch TV and not worry about the weather. So, what do you when you watch this game? What are you going to be watching for? Because it seems like uh, this ought to be a blowout. Vegas has them as a twenty-three point favorite. What are you going to be watching for from the Utes in this game? And is there any chance Vegas is wrong? No, Vegas is not wrong. Remember, a year ago they had to go to DeKalb, Illinois. They played Sutton Smith, who was an All-American type pass rusher, beat player. They don't have that anymore. Does Northern Illinois? So this game's going to be different, but. Yeah, the youths do need to do some things differently. Namely, the tight ends need to catch the ball on offense. Tyler Hunt, he's got to be a little more accurate. He was only 13 of 16 against BYU, but they were throwing a lot of the short stuff there. But uh, both the tight ends had drops. You want to see that cleaned up. I want to see more of Jordan Wilmore at running back. He's a very special talent, and I want to continue to see him get maybe five to ten carries a game. Uh, defensively, I want to see Devin Lloyd get some more experience. Francis Bernard at the linebacker spot is elite. I think everyone expected that. He looks like he's a first-team all-Pac-12 type linebacker. You don't accidentally get interceptions. There's a lot of great linebackers that played at Utah for many years, and they've got one or two career interceptions. It seems like every three games, Francis Bernard is making that type of impact. So he was and is elite. Devin Lloyd's got all the tools, but he was running around a little bit last week. Uh, and, and I don't even want to say he was out of position, but I just want to see him get a little more comfortable. But those are some of the things you can work on against Northern Illinois. The youth need to figure out their right guard spot on offense. They rotated a few guys in there, and so I, I want to see them solidify that. But Utah's second half against BYU was elite. They need to try to capitalize on that and try to get that type of momentum uh, and that type of play going the entire game. So you say Jordan Wilmore, Wilmore is or can be special, so I'm wondering uh, a little comparison. John White special or Zach Moss special? Zach Moss special. Uh, with all due respect to Juan Blanco Quattro, the Wolfman, he was undersized, right. and he ran straight ahead, and he followed his blocking scheme, and there's something to be said for that. Uh, there's got, I mean, you guys remember Kelvin York? He refused to follow the blocking scheme. So it's not a given that every running back just follows his offensive line. John White did a great job of that, but John White had a dearth of speed. I seem to remember him running about a 4.8. Uh, Jordan Wilmore is a beefcake. He's got the same body type as Zach Moss. Remember Kyle Whittingham called him chubby? That uh, He showed up a little chubby, started eating that dorm food, and he's got that type of body, whereas... John White, I mean, the heaviest teammate ever weigh in his life might be 190, 200 pounds. But now Jordan Wilmore's got that ability. But, look, he's not going to pass up Zach Moss. No. Zach Moss is that speed and that wiggle. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why USC really wanted Jordan Wilmore. He's, he's special. He's a good player. 
Kyle Gunther joining us here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, are they going to play it really close to the vest? Is this going to be vanilla another week of dink and dunk? What do you think the game plan looks like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you don't start throwing the ball until you need to. Contrary to what I'm sure the fans want, uh, Utah is a team that their strength is very clearly on the ground. Utah's left tackle, Darren Paulo, is great. Uh, Nick Ford played really well at right tackle. Overall, Utah was running the ball at such an elite level last week. Now, part of that was BYU just could not step up and stop him. BYU had some issues at linebacker last week, especially in the second half. Those linebackers wore down. They were getting washed. I mean, there were plays where BYU's linebackers were getting pushed back five yards off the ball. So, there's no reason to go to a throw game. There's no reason to take any unnecessary risks and, and you know potentially give your offense a turnover because you're trying to show off. I would expect Utah's offense to be vanilla this week. And then next week, they're going to take some shots against Idaho State uh, just to try to you know get some real game practice on trying to throw a deep ball to uh, Damari Simpkins or maybe Jalen Dixon. We'll see. Brian Thompson played a lot last week, but he wasn't targeted. So, uh, I think Utah will open it up against Idaho State, but there's no reason to do that against Northern Illinois. Uh, if a team can't stop you running the ball, there's no reason to open it up. But you do want to see Tyler Huntley get a little more accurate throwing from the move. Uh, but we're talking about really subtle things here. And no, you don't need to get aggressive against NIU. And there's something to be said for disguising your play calling for the first quarter of the season. You know, if USC comes out with three games worth of vanilla tape to study and they get surprised by USC, uh, by Utah's past game because they haven't seen it, well, that's a good thing. And you do call different plays in the first month of the season versus the last month of the season. So the youth are still trying to figure that out. But, no, I, I do expect a vanilla game plan until the youth play USC when they got to mix it up a little bit. As a player, how do you get through the next two weeks knowing you got SC, as you said, in three games, but you got two games in which you should win easily? I loved it. And call me a front runner. Uh, I loved playing bad teams because you get a chance to kick somebody's ass for three quarters and then you rest in the fourth quarter. And especially the older you get in your career, having a fourth quarter to rest means you're going to play, hopefully, it's 20 less snaps. If you can play 15 or 20 less snaps in one week, you will be exponentially more fresh the next week. Because think about it. You know, in the first quarter, everyone's full of piss and vinegar. Everyone's tough there. The second quarter, you get a couple of dings and bruises. The third quarter is where you take a game over and your game plan should start to work. But then in the fourth quarter, whether it's a close game or not, that's when your body's fatigued. That's when the hips hurt more. That's when that sprained ankle swells up even more. Whatever it is, your jammed finger hurts even more. So ideally, Utah starters take most of the second half off over the next couple of weeks. Maybe not against NIU, but against Idaho State, I don't want to see any starters in for the fourth quarter. So that's how you handle it. You play at home, and you get a little confident. Football's a hard game. I don't care how bad you think NIU or Idaho State is. Those guys are big. They lift weights. They're going to try to get you to. They're going to try to hurt you. But you have to take uh, an easy victory if you can get it because they're not that easy to come by. But then, yeah, afterwards, hopefully you're a little fresh. You meet some girls after the game. You enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. Football is such a hard sport. It's year-round. It can torture you mentally. Why not have an easy victory and maybe hit the town after a game every once in a while?
Yeah, especially with an early morning start. That's right. That's right. Why not, man? Kyle Gunther, former Utah offensive lineman, joining us here. What do the Utes have to do to get a little better in the red zone so they're scoring more touchdowns and kicking fewer field goals? Yeah, they, they need to not bog down in the throw game. Tyler Huntley's got to be very accurate there, and I think they need to use their tight ends. Utah's got a couple of things going for them. They have tall tight ends, and they have a couple of tall receivers. Uh, Puka Nakua, or I'm sorry, Samson Nakua, was uh, quite a big red zone threat a year ago. I'd like to see Samson Nakua get used in the red zone again. And don't overthink it. Just throw a fade route. If he's tall and he's being guarded by a small corner, throw it up, and it's either going to be touchdown or the next down. And so I think Solomon Enos showed you a week ago in his catch where he could high point that football. That's the type of play you need to make in the red zone. Now, also, you've got to credit BYU. They made some stops. The defense does have less field to work with in the red zone. And so I thought last week BYU's defensive line and linebackers really stepped up in the red zone, and so that was part of it too. But, yeah, red zone issues have been plaguing the youth for several years. Now, it's it's very difficult to score in the red zone if you can't just run it down a team's throat, which is what the youth did in the second half against BYU. Now, I told you guys not to expect a blowout in the first half. And really, that's not going to happen in any game, except for maybe in the next week or two, you might see the Utes really build some momentum. But in the second half, when you make those adjustments and you start to wear a team down, that's when you can just run a dive play. Uh, You can just run uh, a basic inside zone, which is what the Utes did to start the fourth quarter when they scored against BYU. Uh, They also put together a great drive to start the second half there. But the Utes need to just rely on their power. Uh, their strength up front, their size. I don't mean the scheme power. I mean their offensive line is big. And if you get inside the 5 or the 10-yard line, you cannot be stopped or you should not be stopped just based on the size of your offensive line. So credit BYU. They made a couple of nice plays last week. But this is not a Utah team that's going to be upset about settling for field goals in certain situations. But if you settle for too many field goals against Washington, you're not going to win that game. And then it will be three straight losses to them. But – Man, the Pac-12 South really looks like it is the Utes for the taking. Uh, UCLA is even worse than I expected. USC's lost their quarterback. Arizona's just as big of a dump as a year ago. ASU's the question mark. I think ASU and and maybe if USC can pull it together, but I I think ASU right now is pretty clearly the the second-best team in the division. But the point is the Utes should have the South wrapped up. They're a better team than everyone else in the South right now. So we know that drop passes has been an issue for several years, and that was one of the things you mentioned right off the top with the tight ends. Are you concerned? Yeah, I'm concerned because drops are a backbreaker for your offense. Drops and holding calls. Because for a drop to happen, everything else has to go right. The quarterback has to be protected. The receiver or tight end has to get open. These are very difficult things to accomplish at any level of football. And then when you do that, and a ball is thrown behind the receiver or tight end, and they drop it, well, it's hard to just blame your quarterback. Because as a player, you know that the quarterback's job is so difficult. And you would never tell the quarterback, hey, make a better throw. The coaches might do that. But drops are a team stat. And last week, I thought Keithy and Fotheringham both had issues with the ball that was thrown behind them. Now, the old adage is if it hits you in the hands, you should catch it. And I believe that. And I think every player believes that. But 
Yeah, I'm concerned because this is not the first time it's happened. It's been an issue over the last few years. Going back to, I remember Travis Wilson would struggle with this because he'd throw a ball 90 miles an hour over the middle. you got to have touch and arm strength as a quarterback. And Tyler Huntley and Travis Wilson are similar in that regard. They have a ton of arm strength, but at times when you lack that touch, when you don't put a ball right on the numbers, well, then you give your receiver an opportunity to drop it. But, yeah, I'm concerned because if tight ends aren't catching the ball, what are they doing? Utah's tight ends didn't block very well in the first half. They had a much better second half, but Utah's tight ends graded out as an F in the first half last week against BYU. They were whiffing uh, on blocks, completely missing. They were also dropping balls. That's bad. And I've been a part of Andy Ludwig teams where the tight ends struggle. He had a famous quote one day in practice. The tight ends were pissing him off. And we had a formation called, we had silver and blue packages. Blue was one tight end, silver was two tight ends. I assume the terminology is similar now, but one day he had two tight ends out there in practice, and one of them, I don't know, lined up wrong or something, and he blew his whistle. Andy Ludwig stopped practice, and he said, I got a solution. The tight ends are out. <laughs> and he only called the red formation the whole rest of the week. And I think he used that in the game. Red means four receivers and one tight end. Uh, I'm sorry, four receivers and one back. So when you go four receivers and one back, there's no room for a tight end, and it sends the message that you guys have to be better or you're going to be on the bench. I guarantee Andy Ludwig had some thoughts last week in the first half. Hey, maybe we just go four wide receivers the whole rest of the game, but the tight ends have to block better. If they do that, then they'll catch the football. But you know, I'm concerned anytime there's drops because if the ball hits you in the hands and you don't catch it, well, then gain 50 pounds and come play on the offensive line because offensive linemen want to catch the ball. Running backs want to catch the ball. So if you have an opportunity to make a catch in a game and you drop it, everyone has the same thought on offense. They roll their eyes and they say, ah, all right, do your job or come play on the offensive line, for goodness sake. So did you ever have any ideas of losing 50 pounds and lining up on the edge? I asked every week, man. I was a great tight end when I was a sophomore in high school. I had 17 catches, and then I went to go run my 40 times. I was trying to get a scholarship, trying to be a Notre Dame tight end, an Oregon tight end. I'd been working out for two years as hard as I could, and my dad went and timed me at my high school, and I ran a 5-6-40 after working out for two years in training. So it was very clear that I was given the curse of the Gunther butt. That is where our butt gives us no power, our hamstrings are weak, and we are very slow. Uh, But, yes, I asked the coaches a lot if I could move the tight end, and their response every time was, who are you again? So what is more attractive, the Gunther butt or the Kardashian butt? Oh, very clearly the Kardashian butt. We can't afford (laughs) to inject ours, but uh, I see it with my own children. Uh, We've got the long torso. We've got short, stubby little legs. Uh, but, you know, in all seriousness, I wanted to get a scholarship. Football was my thing. I fell in love with it in high school. I didn't play in Little League because I was scared. I didn't want to get hurt. You know, I knew it was a very violent game. The moment I started playing in high school, I fell in love with the violence. And I realized that a tight end scholarship was going to be hard to get. There's one tight end scholarship maybe at every school a year. There could be as many as five O-line scholarships. So I said, I'm going to gain whatever weight I have to. I started eating a dozen eggs every single day, a gallon of milk a day. And I gained 120 pounds in high school, willingly. I mean, I did that by choice. I got to Utah at 294 pounds, eating as clean of a diet as possible, because I said, I don't care what it takes. I love football. I love the violence. 
I want to hurt somebody. I don't want to injure anybody, but I want to hit somebody. I want to hurt somebody, and the offensive line was the way to do that. Uh, but, yeah, gaining weight for me was a very big challenge. I'm not naturally that size. So it just depends on each individual person. I mean, look at Darren Paulo, Utah's left tackle. He's got to be on a diet to get down to 325. These are massive men. But, yeah, the offensive line, the tight end position, it's weird because nobody ever says, I want to be a tight end. It's always a receiver who gets too fat or a quarterback who's too big. But the tight end position, going back to the drops, it's the, it's the weirdest position in all of football because they're asked to block like an offensive lineman, but they're skinny, and the girls like them, which makes the offensive line resent them. Any catch that goes to a tight end pisses off the receivers, and they want the ball. They feel like, let's give the ball to me. I can break a tackle. You know, 260 pounds over here can't break any tackles. So the tight ends are the least popular position in football, even though they're, they're very funny guys. I mean, for the most part, these guys are pretty popular, but from a football standpoint, everybody hates them because they're getting credit for being pass catchers, but they don't want to block. They're the football equivalent of a gray area. He's Kyle Gunther. He's got stories. That, that tight end story, that was a good one, Kyle. I enjoyed that. Thanks for breaking that out. Tight ends are out. I got a solution. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you have one Andy Ludwig story per week, that, I don't think you can go wrong with that. I don't know how many of those you got stored up, but that was a solid one. Whatever you guys need, you let me know. I'll tell you about E4 next week. All right, we'll look forward to that, E4. I look forward to that story. Kyle, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. All right, gentlemen, thank you.